Today we're going to conclude our faith trek uh, through Hebrews 11. That's what our series has been about this summer, Hebrews chapter 11, and today is our conclusion. I'd like to begin by sharing two stories with two perspectives. Here's the first story. A man stands up at a business lunch to share his personal faith story in a California restaurant. Sharp-looking, well-dressed businessman. And he says, Before I met Christ, I had nothing. My business was in bankruptcy. My health was ruined. I lost, my, I lost the respect of my friends and colleagues, and I almost lost my family. Then I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. He took me out of bankruptcy, and my business has tripled in profits over the last three years. My blood pressure has dropped to normal, and I feel better than I have for years. Best of all, my wife and my children have come back home, and we are a family again. God is good. Praise God. Second story. In China, an old, disheveled, former university professor stands up to share his personal faith story, and he says, Before I met Christ... I had everything. I made a large salary, lived in a nice home, and enjoyed excellent health. I was highly respected for my credentials and profession. I had a good marriage and beautiful children. Then I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. As a result, I lost my teaching post at the university. Then I lost my house and my car. And I was put in prison for five years. My wife rejected me because of my conversion to Christ. She took my children, and I have not seen them for 10 years. But God is good. Praise be to God. Two stories. Which one do you like? Or which one would you prefer? Two perspectives And our passage today deals with both. So let's dig into Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 40. And that's going to be found on page 835 if you grabbed one of the Bridge Bibles coming in today. And uh, you have have an outline in your program and encourage you to follow along. And hey, I think it's great to take notes. I'm I'm a note taker. But that's how you're going to learn is by writing down things that you learn about the passage. But you don't have to take notes. The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, has said already that now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The writer of Hebrews tells us that it's impossible to please God without faith. We have said that the faith life is the only life that pleases God. And today we come to our conclusion of Hebrews 11, and uh, we have met many heroes in Hebrews 11. Uh, If you're following on the outline, number one is sometimes faith changes our circumstances. Sometimes faith changes our circumstances. That's uh, verses 32 through 35. The situation, let's look at uh, the situation in Hebrews 11, verse 32. Now, the writer of Hebrews has been uh, coming along. He's talked about the faith of 
Enoch, the faith of uh, Abel, the faith of Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, Moses, and Rahab. And he's just been flying along in Hebrews 11, telling us how these people have impacted their environment by faith. And then we get to this last section. What more shall I say? You know, I'm running out of things to say. I'm in a hurry here, and now he's just going to fly by at 40,000 feet. I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury uh, of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. What a powerful uh, testimony of faith. Um, and as the writer just uh, skims through this, he, he gives us uh, a quick glimpse. And uh, I'm going to skim through these a little bit too, but I am going to talk briefly about uh, some of the people in this passage. First of all, uh, the example of Gideon, and this is found in Judges 6 through 9. And here we learn about Gideon's faith and obedience. Gideon was an ordinary guy with an extraordinary God. And I hope uh, you have seen that in every case in Hebrews 11. An ordinary person, an extraordinary God. Um, Although Gideon needed God's patience and extra reinsurance, because he wasn't quite sure sometimes like us, God used Gideon and just 300 troops to rout 135,000 Midian troops who worshipped Baal. Gideon followed God's instruction by faith when humanly it seemed foolish. And God brought a great victory through Gideon. Gideon's faith changed the circumstances of the entire nation of Israel. Now, when I'm talking about circumstances, I'm talking about The situation we're in, the environment around us, those things that are influencing and affecting us day to day. And in Israel's case, they were surrounded by an army much more powerful than them, and they were about to be crushed before God raised up Gideon. Next is the example of Barak, Judges 4 and 5. And Barak was a military leader, leader for Israel. When Israel faced the army of the northern Canaanites under Jabin of Hazor. You got that? Jabin of Hazor. At that time, God raised up Deborah the prophetess and a judge as his spokesman. And if you know anything about Deborah, she was a hero in her own right. It was Deborah who told Barak to go to battle. He told her what to do. Uh, she told him what to do. This is a great wife. She's a prophetess and a judge. She always knows right and wrong, and she always speaks for God. Some of our, my wife is like that sometimes. She's often right, too. Uh, Barak is mentioned for his faith because he followed Deborah's instructions, and God spoke through her. Barak and his army brought a great military victory for Israel that day and for Israel and Israel was delivered from these overwhelming circumstances, okay? Example of Barak. Now the example of Samson in Judges 13 through 16. 
Some of you know about Samson. It was all about how strong he was. God gifted him to be a strong man. And, uh, it, but it's a story of, if you know the story of Samson, it's a story of ups and downs. And in the, Samson was mostly down. Sometimes he honored God with his life. Sometimes he followed God's instructions. And sometimes he just was out on his own. And he dishonored God. And he brought great dishonor to God's reputation at times. But the writer of Hebrews here cites the very last event in Samson's life and commends him for his faith. After years of bringing havoc on the Philistines, the Philistines captured Samson. They bound him in chains and they gouged out his eyes. Not a fun day. In Judges 16, Samson was chained to two chained to two pillars in the temple of the pagan god Dagon. In his last effort of life, Samson prayed. He turned to God at the end, and he asked for help, and he asked for God's strength, and he asked for God's power. And God answered, and God gave Samson the strength to pull these two pillars that were holding up the temple. And the temple collapsed. The walls came in, and the roof came in, And thousands of God's enemies and the enemies of Israel uh, perished. Um, And God used the faith of Samson to change the circumstances of Israel as a nation one more time. And if you know the story of Judges, reading in Judges, it's a very dark people, a very dark time for God's people. Sin is rampant. It's it's hard to imagine, you know, how are God's people even surviving in the environment. And some of God's people did some of the stupidest things in the book of Judges. And God used leaders. He raised up judges who would deliver God's people. There were seven cycles of sin in the book of Judges, and seven times God raises up judges to deliver them. And Samson is just one more of those stories. And then the example of Jephthah, Judges 11 and 12. Jephthah um, was born to a prostitute and um, raised in his father's house. And his brothers didn't like him because they had different mothers. And they kicked Jephthah out of the house because they didn't want Jephthah to have any of the inheritance. And Jephthah became a gang leader of outlaws. And... Jephthah had an encounter with God, and God changed his life and the course, the uh, direction that he was going. And God uh, enlisted Jephthah into leadership, and God used his leadership and his skills to uh, lead gangs and use them against the Amorites that were attacking Israel. By faith in the true and living God, Jephthah led Israel to victory over the Ammonites. And the faith of one person changed the circumstances of the entire nation one more time. And then we go to the example of David, First and Second Samuel. You may know a lot about David. One of the greatest stories in the Bible is David as a teenager. And uh, he goes out to battle and he's supposed to deliver a message to his brothers and he finds out that there's this guy named Goliath who's kind of a giant, kind of a powerful man, and he's threatening the armies of God and profaning God's name. 
David just drops everything, decides to go face-to-face, toe-to-toe with Goliath. And God enables uh, David. And uh, he fought against Goliath, Goliath, and he won in the name of the Lord with one stone from his slingshot. David led the armies of Israel in victory on many occasions. He brought unity to Israel after the very dark period of Judges. If you read 2 Samuel, it's an amazing story of leadership when a man walks with God and what happened to the nation. David became the second king of Israel and was promised by God that one day he would have a descendant, he would have a son that would reign on David's throne in Jerusalem forever. And that promised descendant was the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But David learned that about 900 years before Jesus was born. David had many failures and sinned foolishly, but God commended him for his faith. Um, Back to uh, one comment I wanted to make on Hebrews chapter 11... Verse 33, who through faith conquered kingdoms, David, administered justice, the judges and David, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, that would be Daniel, and the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Quenched the fury of flames, that would be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. One of the scariest stories in the Bible, in my opinion, of thinking about walking into a furnace that burned people many feet away, and uh, all you had to do is reject God and you could be safe. And they walked right into it, and God saved them from it. Um, we come to the example of Samuel and the prophets, First and Second Samuel and Daniel as well. Some of you know the story of Daniel. Daniel, or Samuel, is a strong leader in this transition time from the judges to monarchy, a very dark period. And he stands for God, and he speaks for God as a prophet and as a priest, and he acts as a judge, really a unique role, three hats he wears. Um, He was first in the long line of prophets in the Old Testament. He anointed Saul as the first king of Israel. He anointed David as the second king of Israel. He followed God's instructions And he did what was right in God's eyes when everybody else was doing what was right in their own eyes. That's the theme of the book of Judges. He followed God's instructions by faith. And he had a major impact on the next generation. The seventh group here is the example of women who received back uh, their dead. And 1 Kings 17, 2 Kings 4, the widow of Zarephath received back her son from the dead through a miracle done by the prophet Elijah, 1 Kings 17. 2 Kings 4, a Shumanite woman received her son back from the dead as, uh, um, in a miracle uh, that Elisha performed. And here's what we're talking about. Faith changes circumstances. Following the true and living God engages God to act on your behalf. That's what we've been talking about now for nine weeks plus, okay? Applications, sometimes faith changes our circumstances. 
Key word, sometimes. Faith changes our circumstances. And let me ask you, have you had God answer prayer for you? Do you know that God can change circumstances? Have you seen God change your circumstances? Have you seen God provide for you in a specific way? God has provided a job for you. God may have provided that perfect husband for you or that perfect wife for you until you got married. And you realize there were imperfections. God maybe have provided money for you, maybe an exact amount that you needed, and he came through right down to the dollar on what you needed. Um, Maybe you've seen God change the heart, soften the heart of a very callous person. Maybe they've come to faith in Christ, or maybe it was a believer who uh, walked away from God, and their heart became very callous, and yet God softened their heart and brought them back. Maybe you've had a prodigal child drift away and come back. I've shared that. We've seen that in our own home. Sometimes God brings healing. Maybe God has healed you from something that somebody told you you couldn't be healed from. Sometimes he does a miracle. And sometimes God just focuses on changing me. So, Sometimes faith changes circumstances. Now we come to the hard part of Hebrews 11. Number two, sometimes faith does not change our circumstances. Who wants to hear this one? Sometimes faith does not change our circumstances. Situation. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 35 through 38. Here we go. No names. Others. This is the other group. Sometimes life puts us in the other group. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Would you be willing to be tortured if all you had to do was reject the true and living God? All you had to do was reject Jesus Christ. And this group um, chose... Not, they chose to be tortured so that they might gain a better resurrection. By the way, two chances here on resurrection. You get resurrected to everlasting judgment or resurrected to everlasting life. Which one sounds better? The better resurrection, okay? This group was willing to suffer for the sake of a better resurrection, Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. Next slide. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. Doesn't even sound like they had heard about the American dream, had they? So um, let's just work through this, kind of fly by. We don't know all the details of what the writer is talking about. But we'll start with the, uh, the first others, the others who were tortured. Others who were tortured. And uh, the writer of Hebrews may likely be referring to a time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We call it the intertestamental period. Um, sometimes it inclu- it's refers to the time of the Maccabees, the Maccabean period. 
And um, the word for torture here probably refers to a tool or instrument of torture, and it was a wheel like rack where people who were tortured were placed on the wheels, stretched out, and then they were beaten. They could be flogged, they could be scourged, the body was ripped open. Sometimes it was just great suffering, and sometimes it was just execution. Okay? And during this time, about 200 years before the birth of Christ, there were people who, Jewish people, were asked to uh, reject their faith in the true and living God. And there is a uh, historical reference to a man named Eliezer, a 90-year-old scribe, 90 years old. And he was asked publicly to reject his faith in the true and living God. He's a Jewish man. And they forced uh, him to open his mouth and they put some pig's flesh, pork. And Jewish people were not allowed to eat pork in this period. And they forced him to eat it. And they said, we want you to reject the true and living God. And he spat out the flesh refused their request, and he walked to the wheel to be executed. The writer of Hebrews may be referring to the leaser. Um, secondly, others were f- jeered and flogged and chained and imprisoned. Uh, this refers to many people we know of in the Old Testament. It's very common treatment of some of the prophets. It's dangerous to speak for God, by the way. God's people have been really harsh with uh, people who have spoken for God. And they, when, they, when they didn't want to hear the message, um, some were put in pre- prison, some in change. Joseph was put in prison. Um, Hanani was put in prison, 2 Chronicles 16. Micaiah was um, put in prison, 1 Kings 22. Jeremiah in Jeremiah 20, verse 2. Thirdly, Others were stoned, sawed in two, put to death by the sword, okay? That's in Hebrews eleven thirty-seven. 37. Um, Zechariah was stoned in 2 Chronicles 24. Did I say Zechariah before? If I did, I, it was a mistake. It was Micaiah in 1 Kings 22 who was put in prison. Zechariah was stoned in 2 Chronicles 24. Stoning was an execution of, uh, that the Jews were to practice. Uh, and it was, God gave them those instructions. And they stoned one of their own prophets who was truly speaking for God when they stoned Zechariah. One of the really sad cases, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament was Isaiah, 66 chapters. And he said, he told us a lot about Messiah, about Jesus who would come uh, 700 years before Jesus was born. It's an amazing book. Isaiah the prophet, this is not in the Old Testament, this is, this is a historical tradition. Isaiah the prophet, under King Manasseh, one of the evil kings, was put into a hollow log, and then this long uh, wood saw back and forth across the uh, log and cut him in two. Um, a fun way to execute someone. And the writer of Hebrews picks up the story. Some were put to death uh, by the sword. King Ahab and Jezebel executed 
many prophets, according to 1 Kings 19.10, with the sword. Just killed them. Fourthly, others went about in, this others group, went about in sheepskins and goatskins that were destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Uh, This describes life of some of the prophets. They were poor. They were destitute. They didn't have material possessions. They didn't look like they had it all together. Um, Others were in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. This is a homeless group of God's people. Uh, They continued to live for God. And you know what? It just didn't seem fair, did it? You know, if you do good for God, he ought to bless the socks off of you, right? Not always. Sometimes, not always. I love what the writer of Hebrews says. The world was not worthy of them. The world didn't know who they were living with. The world didn't recognize God's people and how they were pleasing God. The world wasn't worthy. They were cut above. They were living on a different plane spiritually than those around. They shine brightly for God without the trappings of world success and comfort. Application. Sometimes faith does not change our circumstances. Sometimes your faith will not change your circumstances. The Apostle Paul understood this. He said, I've learned to be content in any and every circumstance. He's saying, whether I have plenty or whether I have little, I've learned to be content. He said, it doesn't make any difference about my outer circumstances. I've learned something about my inner circumstances. Now, God can always change the inner circumstances but he doesn't always change the outer circumstances. Um, Sometimes God does not bring healing in this life, and you know that. We can pray and we can ask. I think God is honored when we pray and we ask, but sometimes he does not heal. Sometimes God does not provide the things that make us happy. The sad thing for us is we get deceived to think we are entitled to some kind of good life because we're Christians. Now, there are promises about God's blessing, but they're not always things that make us happy or are somehow associated with wealth or comfort. Now, he does promise to give you an abundant life. And that's an eternal spiritual condition that relates to who you are on the inside way more than it relates to who you are on the outside. Um, Hebrews 11, verses 39 through 40, bring this passage to a close. These were all commended for their faith. Please see that. Those people who did uh, amazing things for God were commended for their faith. And those people who lived in the holes in the ground and who were sawed in two and who were executed and who were chained and put in prison, they were commended for their faith. 
Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. They didn't know Jesus. Jesus hadn't come yet. Jesus hadn't died on the cross and paid the penalty for their sins yet. And Jesus hadn't come to establish his kingdom on earth yet where he would establish an eternal kingdom. And we'd go back to a paradise. We ain't there yet. And we haven't experienced the promise yet. We have experienced way more than they had because we've had the opportunity to be exposed to who Jesus is, that he died on the cross for us, that he paid the penalty for our sin, and that we can be forgiven, and we can have eternal life, and we can have his grace and his strength to face each day. They hadn't been there yet. So I have a couple of observations as we close out uh, Hebrews 11. Observation number one is that we need a theology of suffering. We need a theology of suffering. And all I'm saying is the Bible has a lot to say about suffering, and I just want to remind us of that. We, we just get, we get so focused on good things happening, we just really sometimes forget what the Scriptures actually say. So, for example, uh, Philippians 1.29, For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe, on him, but also to suffer for him. Sounds like there might be suffering for Christians here, doesn't it? That it's possible, that it's very, very real, that we might have to experience suffering. I don't want you to experience any suffering. I don't want to suffer necessarily. It's not my first choice. However, it seems to be a part of life. I've been hanging around for quite a few years now, And I've seen um, people far from God suffer, and I've seen people close to God suffer. It seems to be, there's no guarantee that we won't walk into suffering tomorrow. There's no guarantee that I can't walk out of here and get hit by a car, that I'm standing at, or parked at a stoplight, and somebody's going to rear-end me. Been a lot of those recently, where cars been stalled on the interstate or in town, and Someone else? That could happen to anybody. Just because I'm a Christian doesn't keep me away from that. I could get cancer as quickly as the next person. I could die in two weeks quickly as anybody else can. I could get some very painful disease. God gave me a little exposure to that a couple of summers ago. It only lasted for a summer, maybe four or five months. But I learned that some people suffer with chronic pain. And I know what that's like for a little bit. I'm not exempt from suffering. I don't think you are either. 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. Peter's been talking about their great salvation and how fantastic and awesome salvation is. And he says, In this you greatly rejoice, referring to their salvation, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise 
glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Um, God's biggest concern is not necessarily removing problems of your life. That is not his biggest concern. His bigger concern is developing you, developing your faith. Because your faith can shine so brightly throughout eternity. It honors him. Um, It shows who your God is. And your faith can result in praise and honor and glory to God through all generations. Um, God is way more concerned about your faith and developing you than removing your problems. Observation number two, faith does not judge God by our circumstances. Faith does not judge God by our circumstances. There's nothing wrong with asking the question. If something happens to me, it's good to ask, is there something wrong in my life? Because God does discipline his children. That's a good question. God, is there something I've done, is something you want me to do, something I need to see that I've not seen before? It's good to ask that question. And after you ask that question and you don't have anything new, um, faith does not judge God by our circumstances. Um, We cannot say whether God is for us or against us by our circumstances. We cannot judge God by how we feel about life. Now, it's easy to do. I mean, humanly, I understand. You know, things are going poorly. Man, God, what are you up to? This isn't fair. God won't be surprised if you tell him it's not fair. But you need to wrestle with this because um, he is the creator. He is the perfect judge. He is the all-wise sovereign God of the universe. And I think he knows what he's up to, and he knows what he's doing. And he's given us plenty of information about dealing with this. And we can't judge God by how we feel. Romans 8, 32 through 39 reminds us, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. That God loves you, no matter what your circumstances are. Nothing. He's not stopped loving you less because you're going through difficulty. It may feel that way, but it's not true. It's not true. That that passage goes on to say, if God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing separates us from the love of God. He's for us. He proved it. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. Observation number three, always expect God's grace to be sufficient for you in every situation. Always expect God's grace to be sufficient for you. Whether you're suffering, whether you're uh, waiting on God to answer prayer, whether you're waiting on God to bring you the perfect mate, um, God's grace is sufficient. 
2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, a classic passage. After Paul had suffered, he asked God for relief. He wanted God to take away the pain he was experiencing, the difficulty, the problems, the things that were slowing him down. And he said, this is God's answer back, but he said to me, my grace, Paul, is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. The weaker you are, the greater God's grace has a chance to take hold of your life and move. And if you know that, God's grace can be unleashed. Therefore, Paul says, this is how Paul, this is his conclusion. Now that, he's got, now that he understands this truth, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You know, sometimes Paul has some of an unusual sense of humor, but he understands the truth. That um, God's power is made perfect when we're weak. If we trust him, if we allow him to work in our lives. Now, the way I understand this, God may not change my outer circumstances, but he provides the resources I need to live one day at a time. He, he gives me the grace that I need, the strength, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things that God wants me to do, absolutely for sure, with his strength. It may not be all things that I want to do, or maybe I won't get all the things that I want, but I can... God will provide enough grace, enough spiritual resources for today. And guess what? I need to get up tomorrow and ask for those resources, his strength, his grace for tomorrow. And I cannot live on the grace that he gave me last week. It's new every day, and I need to rely on him. I need to ask for it every day. Um, So... Don't settle for yesterday's grace. Seek grace for today. So sometimes God changes our circumstances. Sometimes God does not change our circumstances. When we live by faith, he commends us for both. And we do need a theology of suffering. We went through 1 Peter last summer. The scripture says a lot. God's people have suffered And I'm just guessing there's going to be more suffering to come. In fact, as we move toward the end times, I think God's people are going to face some really, really hard times. And I'll bet there's going to be some blazing stories of faith when that happens. So let's stand. I want to pray. Thank God for Hebrews 11 and what he wants to teach us about faith. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for um, Hebrews 11 and the many stories of faith and, and how those can inspire us and remind us and look at ordinary people and be reminded that you are an extraordinary God. Father, help us not to forget that the faith life is the only life that pleases you. We sometimes get caught up in our own skills and our strength and try to solve problems on our own and uh, we don't turn to you and we don't ask for help we don't ask for your strength we don't ask for your wisdom we don't ask for your power 
And God, teach us to walk by faith. Teach us to follow your instructions. Teach us to be content. Whatever uh, situation you put us in, may we never lose heart, may we never give up. Thank you for the heroes that you've reminded us of. In Jesus' name, amen.